0: At Northrop Grumman, cybersecurity is at the core of everything we do. Our cyber workforce is defining possible every day in an environment that fosters talent and rewards excellence. Northrop Grumman needs cyber professionals like you to join our team to help defend our nation and its allies. We have openings in Maryland, Northern Virginia, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Tampa, Florida. To begin your journey with us, visit our careers webpage, northropgrumman.com forward slash careers.
1: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. Later in the program, an update on CMMC 2.0. But first, joining us is my good friend, Dr. Jim Lewis, the director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Jim, thanks very much again for making time for us.
2: Thank you for having
1: me on the show. It's it's always a pleasure and a word from our sponsors before we get started. Bell sponsors our daily podcast. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman also sponsors our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics and Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage. And L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all-domain command and control. And Huntington Ingalls Industries sponsored uh, our coverage of the Surface Navy Association's recent conference and trade show. Uh, Jim, uh, good, good to have you on again. Uh, you joined us at the end of the year. You joined us at the start of uh, this year uh, to look at 2021 and, and uh, look ahead to 2022. Um, Russia is continuing to threaten Ukraine. Uh, more than 130,000 Russian troops around three sides of the country. Uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday said that it was the United States that was trying to cause a war uh, and stuck to his demands that NATO revert to its 1997 borders and actually said that the alliance is, quote, screwing Russia, end quote. Uh, The Department of Homeland Security has warned that Russia could take offensive Uh, cyber action against the United States and uh, and American companies. And the cyber war has heated up dramatically uh, in Europe and particularly in Ukraine, where Ann Neuberger, uh, the deputy national security advisor for cyber and technology, uh, has been sent to Kiev, in fact, to help improve Ukraine's uh, cyber defenses. Why send her there physically and how can America help improve Ukraine's cyber defenses?
2: I believe that Ann Neuberger's trip was primarily to meet with the NAC at NATO and to talk to NATO about what we could do jointly uh, to counter the Russians in cyberspace. And that includes uh, her visiting uh, the frontline states, the Baltic states, Poland. And it sounds like they tagged uh, Kiev onto this because it sends a powerful signal to the Russians. We're We're at a decisive moment because the Russians probably won't do anything before the Beijing Winter Olympics are open. They don't wanna hurt their new best friend's feelings. So um, sending Anne sends a clear signal to the Russians. Now, what she talked about at NATO, I'm told by the reporter she met with is, um, how does NATO strengthen cyber defenses Uh, among its members? How does it build the capacity to react quickly uh, with uh, teams that can support cyber defense? Um, how does it come up with concrete measures to push back on the Russians? So it's a it's a good signal for Anne to be there, sending her to Kiev just reinforces the message. Whether the Russians like it or not, um, they're not going to. This isn't going to be a replay of 2014 where they roll in and nothing happens. Um, bad things will happen to them if they invade.
1: And what are some of those bad things, uh, Jim? Uh, right. Because the Russians don't appear to be uh, as as deterred, perhaps, as we would like to be, although they haven't acted yet. It's un, you know, I mean, it, it, Putin continues to make the case why he will take action, uh, whether it's in two weeks uh, or three weeks time after the Olympics or uh, three years time. Uh, right. I mean, he's the one who's driving this train. What are well, the things that the alliance should be doing to yeah. improve our defenses? And to punish Russia if if they do act up.
2: I hope Putin hasn't painted himself in a corner because a lot of the reason he's doing this is to build uh, domestic political support. Uh, And it's worked, right? Because conditions in Russia, economic conditions, business conditions are terrible. And the last thing he wants is a successful democratic Ukraine on his border because people might get the wrong idea. So he's got to make threats and maybe he'll have to take action. The things that we will do will harm Russia even more economically. And so you've got a potential semiconductor ban. You've got uh, questions about how Russia connects to the global financial infrastructure. You've got potential measures against the oligarchs who are one of the key support groups for Putin. I mean, when you talk about interfering in Russian politics It's just two groups, the oligarchs and the security services. And if the oligarchs suddenly can't visit their London mansions, well, that'll make them unhappy. So I think it's economic measures, measures against the oligarchs. Those are the things that will uh, pinch Putin. He's also not done himself a favor in so many ways, because the NATO efforts to strengthen cyber defenses are accelerated by this crisis. I mean, I think, that NATO uh, and the US have realized the old adage, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, we'll be in a better position uh, after this, however it goes. Um, if he's smart and if he can get himself out of the corner he's painted himself into, um, he'll continue to bolster and make threats. But uh, this is not good news for Russia and an uh, invasion would be a really bad idea.
1: Um, what are some of the things that the alliance has to do? I mean, obviously, the Cyber Center of Excellence is in Estonia, uh, a country where uh, Russia has been uh, pretty active to try to undermine and enlarge large uh, Russian minority in the country as well. What are the things the alliance needs to be doing and doing more of uh, to step up its game and, and, and improve its capabilities?
2: So NATO has made real progress in the years since the Estonia denial of service attack. And you've got uh, clearer understandings on uh, how a cyber attack can trigger Article V. Uh, you've got clear understandings on processes for that, which mainly involve the NAC. <clears throat> I think that one of the goals is to get uh, common understandings on what would qualify, how do you rank cyber incidents? When do you decide something approaches Article Five? Building those common understandings before an incident is crucial I think some of it is looking at expanding the good work NATO has done with its CERT and with the cyber response teams that need to be strengthened, need to be expanded. Um, We need to have a more operational focus. Uh, So uh, good work, but getting a more operational focus on um, how do you respond, when do you respond uh, would be useful
1: one of the uh, questions and concerns people have with uh, shipping as much arms as we, we are to the Ukrainians is how much of them can they reasonably use, right, and quickly adapt and quickly assimilate? How does this work in a cyber context, right? I mean, it's obvious Cyber Command is engaging, uh, NSA is engaging, right? Van Neuberger is there. She's an NSA alumni uh, as well. Is this something that's easily surged for the United States to sort of come in there and help improve uh, Ukrainian cyber defenses? Or is this more sort of moral support and messaging than actual support?
2: It It is moral support. It is symbolic. I mean, that's one of the things we can use to change Russian calculations of risks. I mean, having a senior official show up in Kiev sends a clear message and it probably affects Russian calculations. But the nice thing about cyber operations is you don't have to be physically present. So you could sit at Fort Meade and work on Ukrainian networks. You could monitor what they were experiencing from the Russians. So it's our ability to um, reach out and touch someone. Now, the Russians have tremendous advantages. They're right next door. They designed and built Ukrainian critical infrastructure, uh, so they know it inside and out. But the fact that there's this global connectivity lets us intervene in ways uh, different from the physical world and um, lets us support the Ukrainians in ways that might not be immediately obvious, but that could be very powerful in the cyber domain.
1: Every time the Russians uh, launch operations uh, like this, and we know that the kinetic space is very, very hot, particularly... Uh, between uh, Ukraine uh, and Russia, but indeed Russia and elsewhere in the world. And I want to get to the uh, the warning that DHS, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, issued uh, about a week ago. Um, what, what are you learning from the operations that the Russians are doing now? What do you think is most interesting about what they are or aren't doing, or doing differently?
2: So the Russians haven't made up their mind, I think, about... Whether they're going to invade, that could change after the Olympics. So what they're looking to do is be as coercive as possible. They'd like us to uh, surrender without a fight, right? And so what they want, their demands are ridiculous. Uh, but if they make them often enough, you know, they might get. If they get fifty percent, they'll be happy. So I think Russia is engaging in coercion. Cyber is a part of that. So far, they haven't done very much, but we know they could. And it's that sense of Russian ability to interfere with Ukrainian networks that creates unease. And that is their goal is they want to have a political effect that moves the West, the Ukraine, the United States in the direction of their their requests uh, for a new Ukrainian policy.
1: What did you make of the DHS uh, warning that the Russians uh, in the event of conflict uh, could take offensive action in the United States and that everybody should prepare for that. What did you What did you make of that? And what does the United States need to be doing? You know what I mean? We, that means that presupposes that we have gotten information that that is what the Russians would do. And I would imagine that at some point, somebody is having a conversation with Moscow saying, oh, you really do not want to be doing that.
2: Uh, you know, I think the Russians are, are trying to manipulate us. And so, first of all, Um, People paying attention, uh, greater attention to critical infrastructure security uh, is a great idea. DHS did exactly the right thing. I was a little disappointed to see, uh, if you remember, it was in 1998 when PDD 63 came out about hardening critical infrastructure. We've made a lot of progress, but we haven't made enough. So one of the lessons from this is um, we need to pick up the pace when it comes to making critical infrastructure cyber defenses better. I don't think the Russians are going to attack. Their most likely scenario for them, attack the U.S. through cyber incidents. The most likely scenario for them is a quick, limited invasion to seize another slice of Ukraine. Um, and then to say to everyone, "Ah, it's over, it's a fait accompli, let's get back to normal relations. Uh, a big cyber attack against the U.S. or any NATO ally Um, makes that impossible. So their goal is to manage escalation and a big attack on the US is not part of that. That doesn't mean, I don't, we depend right now on the Russians deciding not to attack us. That's never a good place to be if you're a defender. For God's sake, the Iranians can tromp around on our critical infrastructure. Um, We need to pick up the pace.
1: Uh, And And what does picking uh, the pace up uh, need to look like, Jim? I mean, right. I mean, you and I have talked about this for a long time. Uh, It's extraordinary. And I I think uh, I think Putin is actually winning in a lot of ways uh, just without even going to war and prolonging the tension uh, has all sorts of benefits. Right. I mean, he's just allowing nations to behave in their own interest, uh, whether they're Germans, whether they're Italians, whether they're uh, French, that are actually causing uh, enormous strains within the alliance when it comes to picking up the cyber game. How do we have to pick up the cyber game? Because, I mean, it's it's sort of absurd to me that the the glacial way we're sort of going about this.
2: So once again, the movie is America comes up with a great idea for cybersecurity and other countries implement it, right? So uh, incident notification, Um, most developed countries, most NATO members have some kind of cyber incident notification in place. We could not get our act together to do that. That would be an easy one. Um, Common basic cyber hygiene measures, as we've talked about many times, um, authentication of identity, uh, regular patching and updating. This is not rocket science, but a good first step would be um, notification of incidents. Now DHS has done a good job. Um, If you look at how Uh, JCDC has worked. Everyone, everyone I've talked to in the private sector thinks it's doing a great job, so we can build on that. But the core there is uh, a tactical response, an immediate response, and you have to know about the incident to respond to it. So um, there's some things you could do right off the bat.
1: Um, Let me uh, shift gears uh, a little bit. Um, Mike Rogers uh, joined us last week uh, and made clear that you can't just focus on a physical invasion. To trigger sanctions or punishment, right? I mean, we're waiting for for Moscow to actually deploy troops into Ukrainian territory. His point is, you have to include uh, cyber uh, because in that sphere, the action is very, very hot, and it constitutes uh, an intrusion and an invasion, uh, right? It is a battle space like any other battle space. What's the right way for us to be thinking about this? Because again, we're thinking about territorial violation and not about um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, I uh, interviewed uh, the chief of the French Navy and that interview will will go up tomorrow. And one of the things that Admiral Vendier said is when you think about future conflict, it's going to happen at sea, it's going to happen in cyberspace, it's going to happen in space, uh, where uh, it is, uh, you know, not uh, involving uh, territories of nuclear armed states, right? How, how do we need to think about cyber and include it in our war fighting plans? And yes, a cyber intrusion is something that triggers sanctions, for example, uh, or, or potential action. How do, how do we need to think about this? And is Mike on the right track?
2: Well, there's two things you could look at. The first is that these actions are a violation of sovereignty. You know, we've never considered them to rise to the level of justifying uh, a forceful response. But it's, it's, it's much more than having the occasional bomber fly over your territory. Uh, because it's so intrusive and it's so disruptive. So the first one is a violation of sovereignty. The second one is um, under international law, under the UN Charter, you're not supposed to engage in politically coercive acts that threaten the political independence of another state. Uh, Russia does that all the time. So does China. right? And we have not figured out how to respond to them one of the problems is it might not be a military response. And this administration should get good marks for thinking about uh, economic and political measures. Uh, it's not a war in that old 20th century sense. And so that's where I'm a little uncomfortable with how they're talking about it. We, we need a new set of responses, but they can be anchored in uh, international law and respect for sovereignty. And then think about what are the things that would be painful for the Russians? Um, We're not gonna invade their territory, but um, if you cut the oligarchs off from the Western banking system, that could be painful. Uh,
1: I am a a big fan. I've been arguing for a very long period of time, you have to target the oligarchs and keep them from using their homes, whether it's in Palm Beach or the Hamptons or, you know, Paris, london. london or anywhere else yeah. exactly um let, let me ask you two uh, two more uh, uh questions uh first um administration has issued an executive order on zero trust uh what you know for for the folks uh, in the audience who are listening who may not understand fully what the concept of zero trust is what is it and is this executive order on the right track well
2: it's it's zero trust is basically uh that a perimeter defense, won't work anymore. So it's the government catching up to where industry has been for probably about a decade. That's that's good. Um, networks are porous. Networks are, you've got your suppliers, you've got your customers, you've got your consultants. Um, the idea, the old idea of cybersecurity was you could create a border around your networks and keep right. people out. Zero trust is you're not going to keep people out. So think about how you define Devise cybersecurity strategies that assume some level of penetration, assume some level of failure. So I think it's a great thing. I mean, the leading industry analysts and companies uh, figured this out about a decade ago. So it's good that the federal government is doing it. Um, perimeters don't work in cyberspace. You know, just like so many of the old ideas we've had about defense don't work. You you cannot defend a perimeter. So If you can't, if you start there, uh, if you start by saying they're inside the wire, um, what is it you have to do to define cybersecurity? And that's what Zero Trust is. It's It's a good move by the government.
1: Jim, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you. And joining us now is Michael Specka, the president of cybersecurity firm Artalis. That is one of the companies that will help implement uh, CMMC, the 2.0 uh, version of which was released uh, late last year in uh, late November. Uh, Michael, uh, thanks so very much for joining us because the last time you, know, you joined us with Bob Metzger to discuss this issue, CMMC had not, 2.0 had not formally been launched.
3: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back, Fargo.
1: Uh, Indeed. Uh, So refresh uh, the audience, right? We're starting uh, a new year 2022 under the new CMMC uh, guidelines. Uh, There are repercussions, by the way, for the rest of government, right? Because CMMC operates to, you know, applies to DOD data. Bring the audience up to speed on what, uh, you know, how folks should be thinking about CMMC uh, in 2022 and what's different from the first iteration of CMMC.
3: Sure. Uh, I'd love to. So, you know, there's, um, there's obviously a lot, of, a lot of nuances and details in here, but the big picture change between the original version, CMMC 1 and CMMC 2, is a simplification of the model. Uh, so CMMC 1 had five levels. Uh, we're now looking at three. Um, two of the levels in CMMC 1 were branded as transitional levels. They're out of the picture. Uh, so we've got some simplification there, but the, the main source of simplification in the model is that CMMC 1.0 had an assessment regime and it also added cybersecurity controls to the NIST standard that it was based on. So NIST 800-171 is the standard that at least uh, several of the levels, two of the levels in in CMMC 1 were based on, Uh, but they added some stuff to it. Now, uh, the level two of CMMC 2 is 100% based on on 800-171. So it's aligned with that NIST standard. Um, And uh, CMMC really is more about this assessment and, you know, some might say enforcement regime for the standard and not setting its own cybersecurity standard up.
1: Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, NIST is the National Institute for Standards and uh, Technology that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the standard setter uh, for uh, the entire uh, federal government. So what does this mean specifically for companies, right? What are companies doing differently? Because you're sort of one of the the, the sure. black belts, if you will, uh, who's helping uh, companies uh, with this. You know, how, how do companies big and large need to be thinking about where we are right now? Uh, right? Because the accreditation body is also changing a little bit about how Right CNMC is implemented, how it's graded, et cetera.
3: Um, DOD did release their assessment uh, guide for level two. So we have some good specifics on what exactly that, le- you know, those level two requirements look like. Um, what companies probably ought to be doing, what we're seeing a lot of uh, is uh, an acknowledgement that the things have really sped up a bit. And initially, and we talked about this on your program when CMMC2 came out, there was some concern that uh, this really represented a delay. Um, In the CMMC program, there was going to be nine to 24 months of rulemaking. And we talked about the fact that, uh, yeah, nine to 24 months of rulemaking, but the plan to roll out CMMC1 was a five-year implementation plan. And DOD has been pretty clear that we go from rulemaking being done to it, you know, the, these uh, requirements getting put into contracts, and uh, so all in all, it's going to go faster. And um, so what we're recommending to companies is the, you know, the same thing we've been recommending, I think, all along, which is, you know, get started. The there's a misconception sometimes with organizations that this is an IT project, and once you finish your IT project, you're compliant and you're done. That's not what the standard calls for. The standard calls for Uh, um, decision-making about, you know, how you're going to approach really information protection overall changes to how your uh, networks and, and, and data systems work. So that's the it project and then an ongoing uh, activity to, to, you know, both monitor your environment for evidence of uh, attempted intrusion for evidence of insider threat and to monitor the landscape which you know anybody who's watching the news now, especially uh, you know what's going on uh, in Russia, um, will tell you, uh, the la- a landscape which changes you know pretty frequently, and your ability to respond to those changes.
1: What mindset do you need to have uh, to be in this? Right, because in the end, CMMC is about uh, improving all elements of security as quickly as possible for the department across uh, the national security industrial base, right? What's the mindset difference uh, that everybody needs to have in this new year going into this to make sure that they're doing both in spirit and in letter what the department wants to do? Because a lot of this is self-governing, right? I mean, everybody is expected to do the right thing to put us in the right place ultimately and in a better place
3: yeah agreed and and one of the changes in 2 2.0 was who who and you know what level of of checking up is happening right so you mentioned level 1 uh uh businesses are going to be able to self certify uh level 2 businesses you know some are going to be assessed by the CMMCAB but there's going to be some you know self certification permission uh level 3 is all going to get certified by the government so um you know what we're seeing more and more uh is just evidence in the marketplace that this is going to go beyond a dod expectation whether you're a government contractor because we have talked to people who who say well you know i'm thinking about getting out of government contracting altogether uh that kind of commentary has gone way down since CMMC one you know for sure um but as a provider to commercial organizations as well we we get you know, questionnaires that would rival the governments of what, you know, what are you doing to protect data? Um, So to believe that uh, protecting customer data, you know, throughout whatever supply chain you're a part of, or whether you're direct to consumer, to think that protecting customer data is something that's only going to apply to some people some of the time is a mistake. You've got a window here um, as a business to reformulate your approach understand what your new cost model is, uh, to be able to provide the, the cybersecurity that's going to be expected by the market, regardless of what you do. So, um, you know, just get started with it. There there's, you don't have to do it all at once and it is going to be something that you do, you know, every day in the future. So, uh, that would be the main mindset change I would recommend is that this is a condition of doing business now, uh, figure out how to incorporate it into your company.
1: And, and what's the window?
3: Well, it depends on who you're trying to serve. If the window is the DOD, uh, I mean, if the, if the customer is the DOD, I apologize, if the customer is the DOD, they said from the announcement, you know, back in December, nine to 24 months of rulemaking, and then it goes into effect. And they've also said that there's a certain amount of uh, controls that you're not allowed to put on your to-do list, the POAM, right? We've talked about the POAM before. Right. The POAM is your to-do list. And there will be things that you're not allowed to have on your poem when you start your contracts that have to be in place on day one. And there are things that have to be uh, done, what they've said is within six months of that award. So you know, your window at the absolute latest looks like 30 months, right? 24 months for them to do the rulemaking. Uh, and then six months after that for you to get done, maybe there's a month or two of slush in there between you know, getting a contract award uh, the rulemaking being done and getting a contract award for, uh, you know, for the, um, that, that includes the clause. But these, you know, compliance with NIST 800-171 has been around since 2017. What hasn't been there is the enforcement mechanism. And what hasn't been there is the explicit statement about how long you're allowed to have things on your POAM. And there's requirements in the FAR that are, uh, that match the, the requirements in CMMC level one. And I don't think there's any, um, you know, stipulation in the FAR that you can get to that when you get to it. I think the expectation is you're doing it now.
1: Right. Uh, and and uh, poem is plan of actions and uh, milestones. Um, Correct. And, and so what you're what you're basically saying is right that that poems are actually allowed as opposed to uh, the perception that they are not right ultimately.
3: Yeah. So CMMC one said no poems. Right. Um, and uh, that was a little confusing because if you if you look at 800 171, it says that the poem is this ever evolving to do list. Uh, what I think the the spirit of no poems uh, meant was that people were using the poem to say, you know, indefinitely that we're not going to have things implemented, not that we've discovered a way to improve or we've discovered a hole that we need to figure out how to remediate. Those are the kinds of things that should go on your poem. So yes, they're allowed. Um, having said that, there is a finite window of time that the DOD is going to tolerate right. lack of implementation.
1: We don't want this to be an ever-evolving science project where you actually have no plan <laughs> and you're sort of flapping around and not getting anywhere, right. as opposed to get a plan, make a plan, if it takes you a little time to do it, but at least have a plan and stick to it.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things that DOD's done done... Um, in 2.0, that in this assessment guide, that I think is a, going to be a big help. And it's going to make it a lot easier for companies like us, like Artalis, to help uh, companies that are trying to get this done. Is they introduce a, a shared responsibility matrix. And basically, what that says is uh, this is the part of my cybersecurity program that I'm going to do, then these are the parts that my vendors are going to do. So you can now work with a company like to, uh to be explicit. About you know what who who's who's on you know what base right so if you implement Microsoft GCC High these are the controls that Microsoft implements if you do it with a partner like us these are the controls that Artlist is responsible for and then this is the piece that we're going to get done so they are giving you more tools um, or giving us as an industry more tools um, to be explicit about who's responsible for what uh, again you you just need to to get in there and and start.
1: Uh, Two last quick questions in the time we've got left, Uh, Michael. First, uh, how is CMMC and federal data connecting with what the rest of the federal government is doing? Because that's an outstanding question for a lot of folks.
3: Yeah. So uh, quickly as I can, uh, CUI, which is what CMMC is designed to help us protect, uh, is a national federal federal government-wide standard that's run by the National Archives. It's not a DOD standard. And NIST 800 171 is not a DOD standard, right? It's a federal standard for protecting CUI. So, DHS, GSA, um, uh, environment, right? There's a number of departments that are starting to talk about okay, what are we gonna do to enforce protection of our CUI? Uh, so, I'd say if you're a government contractor, you know, and you've been watching this space, or thinking you could just serve other customers, not DOD to avoid it, it's gonna be everywhere. I mean, it's gonna take a couple of years, but it's gonna be everywhere.
1: And that's a controlled unclassified information is CUI as opposed to federal uh, unclassified information. Um, Let me ask you one last question. Um, Obviously, as we heard at the top of the show uh, from uh, Jim Lewis, Dr. Jim Lewis of CSIS, uh, Russia, Ukraine uh, is, is hot. Uh, and uh, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, has put a notice out to uh, the U.S. companies and indeed broadly to the public in, you know, there is, there is the prospect of uh, offensive Russian cyber operations in the United States that could be disruptive. What, is, what does that mean for you? How are you taking that warning? Uh, how are you working with your customers in the wake of that warning?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's just a reinforcement. I mean, until there's specific intelligence, it's just a reinforcement that something needs to be done. I, you know, and, and getting on board with a standard like 800-171, even if you're not a federal contractor is one way uh, to get rolling with your, you know, with your cybersecurity. Um, you know, some of the biggest cybersecurity events we've had in the last 10 years are spillovers from nation, you know, nation-state activity, uh, not even targeted at the general public, right? Just things that got out out and, and, and propagated and caused problems for a lot of places. So... You know, the question isn't uh, anymore, am I a target, right? Some A number of customers say, well, I'm not really a target. Um, you don't need to be a target, right? There just needs to be a target out there on the internet and a virus or some other form of malware propagates really effectively. And now you're dealing with it, whether you are the intended recipient of the of the action or not.
1: Michael, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure having you on and look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, go Appreciate it.
0: From cyberspace to outer space, Northrop Grumman cyber technology spans all domains and all aspects of national security. We are delivering the next generation of cyber capabilities that protect our nation and its allies. Visit northropgrumman.com forward slash cyber to learn more.